0: Good morning. How many of you, raise your hand, if in some way or another you have been involved with back-to-school kind of things? Okay, good. How many of you, in some way or another, have been involved in back-to-church kind of things? Yeah, you should all have your hands up. Okay. Um, How many of you are... Involved in some way or another in back-to-football kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Ready for a Sunday and Monday night, right? How about, how about you who are excited about baseball playoffs? Anybody? Just a few. I know the Twins are struggling. And some of you know I'm a Cubs fan. And I get a difficult time for that because the last time they've actually ever won a World Series was back in 1908. But you have to realize... That, you know, it's just possible that some teams just can have a bad century. Um, (laughs) Let's pray. Father, would you take these moments and allow for your Holy Spirit to speak to, as we hear some of these things, to be challenged to understand how you love us and want to be involved in our lives And how you want to take us where we're at and make us more than we ever could dream of being. That is amazing. And that's not the message that people hear about you. But that's the kind of God we we love and serve. Who's willing to to come and put your finger on our chest and say, here's the truth. But to do so in, in a hug of love. So we thank you. In Christ's name. Amen. There's a book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, some of you may be familiar with Robert Louis Stevenson's classic work, in which he concludes through Dr. Jekyll in this book. Dr. Jekyll concludes his nightmarish life with these words. I regarded and hid those darker aspects of my nature with an almost morbid sense of shame. I had learned to dwell with pleasure as a beloved daydream. On the thought of the separation of the good and evil within, within me. If each, I told myself, could be housed in separate identities, life would be relieved of all that was unbearable. That's how he concludes. You may think about that for a second. Just think about the fact that somehow, in some ways, when you think about your life, if you could just somehow disconnect those, those things that are, that, are, that are evil, the thoughts, the intentions, the motives, the things that come into your heart that you just feel shame about. And if you could somehow push those away and get them out of your life, your life would be so much different. The Apostle Paul actually says this in Romans 7. He, he says, the good I intend to do, I don't do, but the, the evil that I don't want to do, I end up doing. That's the Apostle Paul. That's what we call a saint. I shared this message at the men's retreat, and then I shared it this week at, at Teen Challenge. Over 400 of these people who had come together out of brokenness, out of pain, and out of addiction. When I said, have you ever felt that sense that you want to do good, but the evil that you don't want to do, you just you do it? And they just kind of raised their hands immediately. Because they're so in touch with that. But I imagine if we just let ourselves think for a second, we could get in touch with that very thing ourselves. That we have those thoughts, we have those motives, we have those reactions and those, those actions that we just want to hide. We want to keep separate from ourselves. We want to kind of push into the darkness so that no one ever can see it. See, Dr. Jekyll believed that he could just separate the good and evil within himself, he would then be free of the pain of these two conflicting impulses. If you remember in his classic work, you remember the end was a complete disaster for Dr. Jekyll. That kind of life never ends well. By the light of day, the good side of Dr. Jekyll shined. He was this loving doctor who, who helped people and treated patients with kindness and goodness. He was involved in helping bring about healing in their lives. But by night, in the darkness, the hideous Mr. Hyde roamed the city, creating havoc. He kept the shameful impulses and desires and thoughts in the dark. And this morbid sense of shame kept him in prison. And this is by nature what I believe all people do. To one degree or another. And I think often this is what society seeks to have us do. Often families will teach us to do that very thing. There are churches that will often do that as well. People seek to deal with these conflicting impulses in, in a manner, I believe, similar to Dr. Jekyll. We will do just what he did. We try to hide them, we deny them, we push them behind us, we put them back into the shadows of our life so that we can't see them and we hope others won't see them as well. Anybody relate to that? Some. I think all. Yet to our surprise, when we're really honest, we find the Mr. Hyde side of us jumping forth, Rachel outburst, a driving lust. A large capacity for pity. A critical spirit. A condemning spirit. A hateful spirit. And all kinds of what I call unruly impulses. They slip out and they actually hurt those we love. What I want to do is talk about these powerful elements that if left hidden and unexposed and dealt with in that way that Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll dealt with them, they will severely limit your potential they will severely hinder all that God wants you to be. And these hidden and really unacknowledged parts of us create incredible amounts of pain. They hurt relationships, they hinder intimacy, the kind of intimacy we want with people. They limit our careers, they impact our family negatively, they keep us from truly knowing God. They stunt our spiritual growth, they actually work in such ways that they drain us from the spiritual power that God wants to move in and through us. They actually separate us from having the kind of relationships we want to have with one another in a church setting, in family settings. And many of our lives become frustrated by that. I want us to get real in this series of messages through the fall about how we live our lives. And I want to share with you that I believe Jesus introduced a far more effective way to deal with those shameful desires. Those thoughts that make you cringe when you really think about it. Those actions that you do that you wish you could have undone, you know. You see, Jesus had an incredible approach to this. It was just the opposite of what our natural tendency really is. That's tendency to hide and deny or to disassociate ourselves from a part of ourselves that we just don't like. See, Jesus encouraged people to, and actually invited people to bring this Mr. Hyde side of their life out into the open, into the light. And he actually wanted to expose what we want to hide in the darkness and bring out into the light. He invited people to shine the light of the love of Jesus, this love that Jesus brought on our shame by confessing it and getting it out in the open and doing so in appropriate ways. If you read Matthew 5, people flocked to Jesus because he preached the good news. And this good news brought people to him because they experienced his love. And they heard about this gracious and loving God who was willing to put his arms around people and to, and to love them and say, I want to heal you. And he would do so in the process, speak truth into their lives out of love. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, and those who were demonized and epileptics and paralytics and all these kind of people that were really, in a sense, quite open about the fact that the stuff they were trying to hide, they couldn't hide anymore in their life. They brought it out to the open. It was already plain to be seen. And Jesus created this incredibly safe place for people to get real with the things that they had trouble getting real about in their life, the things that they wanted to hide. It's really my desire that my set of free be this kind of culture, this kind of place where people can come and recognize the fact that we have needs, that we have things that we need to deal with. It's called sin. It's called selfishness. It's called at times being self-absorbed. It's called those kind of things that protect themselves out of fear and move to anger or self-pity or any kind of number of ways. Gossip and all these things that we do that cause pain. Addictions. It's our desire that we'll create a kind of a place where people can come up and, 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 and say, here's what I'm wrestling with, and to do so in appropriate ways. in small groups or what I, what I call accountable relationships where you can get real with someone else who truly loves you and doesn't condemn you and helps you understand and see and helps you see the things in your life to help you move forward so that you can grow and you can have the healing power of this life and love of Jesus in you. And Jesus calls us to be honest about those things that we would naturally just want to hide. So in this series, which I've called Living in the Light, we're going to deal with a number of these things. But here's the underlying truth of this whole series. It's really, really pretty simple. It's a very basic truth. But it is one that is incredibly difficult to do and to perform. It's one that's not easy to act upon. It's the heart of the gospel, the good news. And it's misunderstood by so many parents, authority figures, churches, because they train us to hide this stuff. The gospel cries out very clearly, good news. God wants you to come and expose and confess and let him heal these things in your life. He has not come to beat you up and punish you, but to help you deal with it, get real with it, and grow beyond it and through it. And here's this truth. The goal of the Christian life that Jesus seemed to exemplify the Word of God begins with in the very first part of the Bible, is to live in the light. It's to live in the light. Contrary to what you have heard, the foundational goal of the Christian life is not to be good, to try in your own strength to be good. It's not to try and perform well. It's not to try and be right. It's not to come and do religious things. that so Somehow in doing that, as you do those things, God kind of says, Good, I really love you. I, I accept you on the basis of these things you're doing. The goal is not to try hard to be good, to be sincere. It's not to try and perform in such a way that that God and others accept you. It's not that you do it for others or even for yourself. They're worthy desires, I have to say. But they're not necessarily the primary goal. If to look good or to perform well was our goal, here's what happens in those kind of settings. It will happen that we will, if you don't have primarily the goal of living the light, what will happen is if you have to hide that stuff, you will hide it. And some people get really good at doing religious stuff. They get really good at performing good and doing so in such a way that other people can pat them on the back for that. And they become, in a sense, proud about what they've done. The other option is in so many cases a person will try real hard to do good and they'll do it again and again, but they, can't, they just can't seem to, to hide those impulses very well. They just get honest enough with the fact that there's enough junk in their life that they go, I just can't be like that, and they give up. When I was speaking to those at Teen Challenge and I said, how do you feel on one of the other end? And guess where they raised their hands? Right over there. They just gave up. On the other hand, if you follow Jesus and make this concept of living in the light, basically living honestly with others your goal, with God, then those desires to be good actually become a reality because God as you bring yourself honestly before Him without any hiding and say here's what's going on in my life God and with other people who love you in, a, in what I call accountable, loving, safe relationships and you begin to expose that and allow the Word of God to begin to infiltrate your life guess what? The power of God comes in and begins to heal things He begins to expose these different things that are drives that you don't even maybe sometimes know what is driving them and He comes about and He brings about a deep healing and through his His Holy Spirit and power, He causes you, through your willingness to act with Him, to allow the goodness of God to flow through you. I like that. Amen. Listen to what the Bible says about the concept of light. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. The very first thing in John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He's making the claim here that in the very beginning, God Himself was, Jesus was resident with Him. He was this Word, this spoken expression of who the heart of God is. And through Him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has, that has been made. And then, catch this, in Him was life, pulsing, life. And that life which was full, as it tells us a little bit later, of grace and truth, was light to people. This Jesus who walked around and as He went from place to place and He would share the truth, He did so in such a way that His life was so filled with love that people felt they could come into His presence. They experienced grace. It wasn't a matter of trying to look good or show up good. In fact, the people who flocked around them knew they weren't and they came to Him because they knew that He had something to offer them that could make them what they wanted to be. And through him, him life, and that life is the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. If you want to remain in the darkness, it won't want to grasp it or understand it. it. In fact, it will seek to overcome it, but you can't stand the light because the light might expose either your self-righteousness or the light might expose the evil. And if you either case, if you don't want to come into the light, you're not going to get help. In John 3, verses 19-20 through 20, says this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth, this idea of whoever is willing to step into the light and allow their life to be shown for what it is, comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through who? God. I like the way the message says it. This is the crisis we're in, folks. This is the crisis we're in. God-light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil addicted to denial and illusion hates God-light and won't come near it fearing a painful exposure but anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so that the work can be seen for God's work is in it it is and John 8:12 when Jesus spoke again to the people he said this without any without any hesitation he said i am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life See, God calls us to step into the light of his presence. His grace sets us free from our sin. His love sets us free from shame. His truth that is enveloped by that love allows for us to see ourselves so that we don't have to stay the same, but we can become what he, what he actually sees us to be. Now think about it. The Bible actually begins with the story of honesty. That's why it's so foundational. That's why I want us to say, if you know in your heart there are impulses, there are things that you feel that, that cause you shame, that keep you apart from God and keep you apart from others, here's what you need to understand and, and, and realize that from the very beginning of the Word of God, this concept is shown to be true. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verses 6-13. through 13. I was going to tell the story, but I thought, let's just read the Word of God, and then I'll tell it, okay? When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig trees, leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard, the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, um, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? And the woman said, well, you know, the serpent that you created deceived me and I ate. And Adam and Eve rebelled. They blew it. They sinned. And when we do wrong, when we think wrong, when we have motives that are wrong, we feel shame. And what's the natural reaction when you feel shame? What do you want to do? Hide. Hide. Very good. You want to hide. You want to do just what they did. In fact, usually what, when you look at this passage of Scripture, there's this, there's this part of every person, in every person, there's this sense when it comes to uh, living in, in relationship with God and in hearing His Spirit and doing the things that His Word and what He calls us to do. There's a part that is like Eve and like Adam that lifts our hand high to God. It's called high-handed sin that says, God, I know, I know better, but I don't care. Right? It's like the little kid who says, Mom, Dad, you said don't take any cookies, but tough. And when you do that, it creates that sense of wanting to hide. A child doesn't want the parents to know. We don't want, in the sense, God to know and see. And, and that's what you see Adam and Eve do. They run away. And, and it's really interesting. What does God do? God, it says, He walks down. They hear the sound of God walking in the garden. And as they hear God walking, they scatter all. Like when you turn on the lights and you see things run right, the light appears, and God says, "Where are you?" Right. Now imagine this. It's like they're they're hiding behind these 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 trees. Do you think God has trouble seeing them? Yeah. Why is God asking, "Where are you?" Do You think God's you know he's just not maybe wide awake yet? It's because He wants you and me to come clean in a sense with what's going on in our life. He wants us to expose it, to confess it, to get out in the open with it because the only way you and I can be healed from any of this stuff that we want to shove back into the background and not let others see, whether it's addictions, whether it's feelings of depression that we're dealing with, whether it's anxiety that you're dealing with, whether it's fear, whether it's outrageful outbursts, you name all these different things, whether it's gossiping, whatever it is that you kind of hide back back here, and you want to act like it's not there, he says, get it out in the open. Do you don't think God sees it? Do you hear the sound of God walking within, in a sense, the garden of your own life? Maybe today. And he's walking, and you hear his steps, and you want to hide, and he says, where are you? He knows what's going on. He says, where are you? You know why he does that? Because God always wants you to take the initiative. He wants you to move towards him. He wants you, in a sense, to get real, to get honest, to get open. Because God is so incredibly loving. But here's the tendency of our hearts, right? If we actually, actually go, okay, I'm here... The next thing that's really difficult, and I'm just sharing this. This is true about me, okay? This happened in my life just this last week. I'd share it with you, but it's too painful, okay? God goes, where are you? You step out, and you know what's the next thing you do? Um, Why are you hiding? Um, Did you do something like you've done before, or did you eat of that, and what's his response? Well, the woman you gave me. We we are so quick to say, you know, it's in my genetics. I'm sorry, God, it was my family dysfunction. And I'm not saying those things don't attribute to it and contribute to it, they sure do. But the reality is we all stand as a sense of ownership, we all have a will, we all need to bring it before God, and if you don't bring it before Him and get done with the blaming. He goes to the woman and he says to the woman, What about you? Why did you eat? And she goes, Well, the devil made me do it, right? There's a real interesting step about bringing things into the light. First, you have to say, when he says, where are you? You would stand in the light and you have to be confident of this. That there is good news. That God loves you. He is there to heal you. He is not there to separate you. I don't care what message you've heard from the church or where you've heard it from other people or if you've heard it from your family that you grew up in. God's purpose in bringing you into the light is not to punish you. There may be consequences of things we've done, but His desire is even to limit those and to bring you into healing. And I want us as a church, as a body, as a group of people, and I want us to be done appropriately, obviously, but I want us to begin to build this culture that says, you know what, we're not going to play games, we're not going to come on Sunday mornings and try and look good, although I I still want you to dress up and look nice, but, you know, don't just come right out of bed. But the idea being that in our hearts, we're going to be real. We're going to be authentic. We're not going to play games. We're going to step into the light. And we're going to allow people to step into the light. We're going to allow people to come in who may not look like we look, who may not dress like we look, who may have different understandings of things, who may be going through doubts and fears and questions, and we're going to say it's okay, it's safe here, because we ourselves have had these doubts and these fears and these questions. We ourselves are sinners. It doesn't matter the extent. That's what God wants to create here. And our tendency is to hide and to blame. And you know what the next thing is to do? We hide and we blame Here's, here's what you need to know. After they get done and they've blamed, they start walking out and they, I, you know, I wish these were real, they, they take fig leaves and they cover themselves with them thinking, God, you're not going to really still see me, maybe. I don't want others to see me. And we do the same thing. Just imagine how silly that looks. I do the same thing. I cover up my shame, my inadequacy, my fear. I'll cover my fear sometimes with anger in order to get big and push people away because I'm afraid. I'll cover my inadequacy at times with the desire to look really successful and like I got my act together and I really know it all. You'll cover your shame by trying to show other people how much you got it together. Anybody done that? You try to be successful, you're religious, you you try to have the perfect family, you dress up with all kinds of leaves, and God says, Guess what? They wither. And you even know yourself, you look silly, because if that starts to wither and you start to realize that doesn't cover, you need something that will cover you. You need something that will make a difference in your life, not just for now, but for eternity. And God in his goodness and his grace is so loving that he comes before them and he does something symbolic. He takes an animal, he sacrifices, he says, this is done for your sins in order that you would know that I don't hold those against you anymore. This life is taken for your life. And in this life, I'm going to actually take the skin of this thing and I'm going to cover you with. But guess what? That was symbolic. That was temporary. That wasn't meant to be. This skin would actually itself wear out, but it covered it for a period of time. And what God in His great love and grace did is He took a man named Abraham and He prepared through Abraham to call a person named Moses. And from Moses He called a nation called Israel. And from this nation of Israel He gave birth to a Messiah. And this Messiah, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life without sin. He came and said, here is my life. If you want a covering that will forever cover you of your shame and your guilt and all that, you can wear me for eternity. And you can live in that. And you can enjoy it and you can come to it and you can find healing and you can get real with these things. You can't you don't have to live separated from other people. If you've got a, a habit of addiction or if you feel suicidal and depressed or if you have some kind of deep anxiety that's causing anxiety attacks, there are people you can come to who will, will be able to pray and to love you and, and help you process through it. And greater than that, there's a God who will also, through them, be involved in your life. Folks, that is what I believe the church is about. It's about offering a covering that comes to the love of a God who's willing to deal with our deepest fears and our deepest wounds, the very things that we look at people's lives and sometimes disgust us by the way they live, and the same things that disgust us if we get real, and see the seed of that is in our life if it only blossomed. Who are we to stand in any sense of pride? And he says, God says, the goal of this life is not to try and look good and appear good and to be good and to hide that stuff. The goal of this life is to bring it into the light, to get honest with it, and to begin to deal with it and say, God, I show up. When you said, where I am, where are you? And I say, here I am, right here. <laughs> and you stand before him without without the covering, without deflecting it and blame, without covering it with your own little devices to try and make yourself feel better doing something in a dark room and closet, whatever it is, you you start to say, you know I'm going to get it to the light. I'm going to live this way. I think one of the reasons teen challenges, I spoke this last week to them, or AA is effective is because they have a simple invitation which is based on this very principle that's found in God's Word, and that is to be honest, radically honest with other people about what's going on in your life. They actually call people. And provide a place where this radical commitment to honesty is expected. How much more the church? Right? People confess who they really are, what they really think, and what they really feel, whether it's good or bad. And over time they begin to see that they're not alone. How incredible. Faulty thought patterns are exposed and they're corrected. False blame is revealed and dealt with. Fears are uncovered and combated by the loving support of others. That's how God intended it to be. Sounds like the what the church really should be. Wouldn't it be great if you could, during the greeting time, turn to someone and say, the person behind you or next to you, and say, like I could turn and say, Hi, my name is Kevin Meyer. I'm a sinner. I'm here because I need a lot of God's help. I often blow it. I have trouble loving my wife. Well, I struggle being the kind of father I want to be with my children. I find at times I'm way too stubborn, judgmental, impatient, and self-absorbed. But I'm here, thank God. I was going to give some implications, but I'm going to just give you kind of a conclusion in this whole thing about stepping into the light. In life, folks, if we are courageous enough to take the first step of faith into God's presence when he says, where are you? And you're courageous enough to get involved where you open your life honestly before God and then begin to develop relationships that are safe where you can begin to help others who are walking this life and they help you walk into this You can learn to come before God naked. You can show up with who you really are. That's what we all really long for. And we can do so unashamed. You will stand before God someday, naked. Nothing hidden. It says you're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We don't belong to the night or the darkness. So wake up, he says, be aware, says Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5. Wake up now that so someday when you have to stand in the light, you'll understand that this God who loves you has given you an opportunity here in this life, day in and day out, to learn how to do it. Here's one of the great loving things of God, and I'll conclude with this. God loves us, and he has actually even created life, this process of life, to wake us up to the reality of what will happen when we stand before him someday. Guess what? As you age, it is the very process that God intends to teach you with, if you're willing to learn, that you will have to stand before him someday fully exposed, without anything. Scott Peck says in his book, In Search of Stones, aging is a process of stripping away, eventually a stripping away of everything. God doesn't want part of us. God wants all of us. So it is the stripping away of old. It's not partial. And it's not just physical. It's total. Aging. Think about it, folks. Aging is the process of learning to have things stripped away. The stripping away of health and physical agility, he says, is not as painful for me, and I suspect for others, as the psychological stripping away. The stripping away of illusions, hundreds of them. That's all good, but it still hurts and may leave many distrustful, cynical, and embittered. There's the loss of heroes, the loss of mentors. And he says, if I live long enough, I shall be losing more and more of my friends to death. I may even outlive my wife or closest friend. Everything will be stripped away except for God, before whom I shall stand fully naked and exposed. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to just pray. And then we're going to take communion. Father, at this point right now, we are preparing our hearts to recognize the fact that even in communion, it's an opportunity to say, I need you. Just like I need physical nourishment, I need the nourishment that comes from the fact that your love allows for me to show up completely the way I am. And in that, to get honest with you and with others. So this morning, as you're standing before God, if you have asked... God, in your heart, and you said at a point in your life, God, I recognize my need of you. I just open my heart to you. If you've received him and asked him to come in to be your savior, this meal has been provided to give you life. And if you've never done that, you can do that right now. You can just invite him in and say, here I am. Here's my life, God. In fact, you may be here today and you may be in a situation, in a position in your own life where you're showing up before God and you know that you're covering things in your life. And here's an opportunity to say, God, I'm not going to blame. I'm going to take the covers off and I'm going to come before you once again. And I'm going to receive the nourishment of your grace through this meal. This is what Jesus provides. So I'm going to ask you before the Lord. If you're in that place, then do so. If you're in a place you say, I don't want to get exposed, I don't want to come to the light, I'd encourage you maybe not to take it. Because this is all about being real. And it's okay, but be real. Be real in your heart before God.